0: Hi everyone, this is Holly Herndon.
1: I'm Matt Dryhurst.
0: And you're listening to (laughs) Independence.
1: Bring bring bring. Hey Simon. Hey guys what's up How
0: pretty are good you?
1: pretty good you're good. you're joining good. us from sunny cape town good for you mm-hmm, that's
2: right <laughs> I, I i won't say much more than that because i know there's a lot of people in northern hemisphere that would enjoy this so <laughs> i won't say more
1: you're right i hope the weather and the food is really good where you are um. it is awful it is really bad <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, um, yeah. So, for people listening, we're going to go into obviously some of your more recent news and some of the stuff that you've you've been doing before uh-huh. that. But would you mind introducing yourself for people who have no idea who you are?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, sure. Um, so, I think the best description I have is that I'm a creator. Uh-huh. Um, in the past, I've created music, games, websites, projects, um, companies, new economics um writing art uh so a bunch of different things coding um but i think the thing that most people would be familiar with is my work in the blockchain industry Mm -hmm. um especially ethereum space and um i also write frequently I, i blog a lot on like new economics and, and new economic ideas. And um, I've also recently wrote a novel. So I think that's, that's like what people would be most familiar with.
1: Yeah, I, I do have to say, you're one of the most like productive and fast people I've been familiar with over, I it, it like blows my mind sometimes where I'm like, something happens and within 12 hours, there's like a very <laughs> thorough piece of writing, <laughs> like pulling it apart from 15 different angles and a project yeah. proposal that comes out of it. Uh, so maybe could we talk a little bit about like what your, I mean I don't want to say background in like a like professional way or something, but like, mm. uh, you know, as you get get started being so prolific, I would say like it's a uh you know because we've we've been in touch with each other over over a number of years, and it's like it is pretty remarkable how how consistently uh uh you contribute to so many different things. I mean like, yeah, where, where did this all start? Mm.
2: <laughs> Well, that's a good question um, I, you know've I've, I, I remember I think when I was a child, this was way back like tiny kid uh, my my parents thought I would either become an artist or a programmer, mm-hmm. and then I guess I became both yeah. <laughs> um, but um I, I think it comes from just a long history of like being interested in creating things um, from you know learning when I was a teenager after school, like reading like documentation and learning to code and making games to um, a university becoming enamored by sort of what people were doing in tech and the web and trying to build websites to um, making music Um, that that's always been a passion on the side making Mm -hmm. music Mm -hmm. Um, and then after like a certain period I, I found bitcoin and blockchain technology and then I got really interested in that and then also like writing in general has always just been a way for me to um formalize my own thoughts yep. and and then also just you know catalyze on the benefit of sharing it you know it's yep. like to to sort of go the process of writing things down to me is a way of crystallizing my own ideas so that there's many times when I've written something down and I realized this is I, I clearly was malformed or like a poorly thought idea and then I, I throw it away but if it's actually something that I feel makes sense then I just share it yep, yep. Um, and I think over time that's that's probably been the case where, it's just been a, a muscle I've developed over time. Where where if 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 there's something that I want to share, I've somehow just figured out the way to do it in such a manner that the people enjoy it. I think I think part of the reason that also is something that I've developed is my mother. She um she was a dancer, mm-hmm. so she she was she was on stage a lot. And then during high uh, high school years, I have a twin brother, so um we would we would um my mom would encourage us to like participate in musicals mm-hmm. so there was a period where i learned a lot of like theater and stage and and just singing and acting and a lot of that came from just understanding and uh, learning and understanding like how to interact with an audience and then also not being afraid mm-hmm. i think i think it, a lot of sense is just like i'm always in a mode of always be publishing doesn't matter whether i think it's good or not because you don't know what's going to get traction so yeah hope hope that covers it
0: i'm curious did you so this kind of like uh immediacy with your publishing did it start first with your writing or with your programming or was that kind of both well,
1: i was about to say it's a very like we test in prod kind that, of yeah approach, that's what i was right? thinking <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. almost
0: kind of like a programmer's approach to yeah writing. yeah absolutely
1: yeah.
2: yeah yeah um i wow trying to remember I probably started writing before I started coding, but this, this this goes back to like being a teenager and just enjoying to write stories. Like my favorite stuff in school was when the, the English teacher would uh, task us to write essays. Yep, and I just yep. enjoyed, really enjoyed doing that. And then as a teenager, I started tinkering more and more with computers and technology and then started figuring out how to code. Um, but it was also, you know, I, I grew up as a teenager at the start of like the blogging era. I, like I was a was a teenager during myspace and stuff so like Mm. there was this period where where this was like a new thing just to be able to share your thoughts yeah and 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 it was super exciting for me also being from south africa where where it's just like you always saw what the rest of the world was doing in magazines and tv and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. then suddenly the internet came around and you had a dial-up modem that like screeched and stuff and then you were able to talk to people in america and europe and australia and i was really exciting and i just wanted to share as much as i can with people mm-hmm. so i think that also comes from that angle of just like suddenly having this power to share with people and i just let me write everything just publish a blog and stuff
1: which is yeah which is which is wonderful and i want to i mean we're going to talk a, a bunch more about how these things intersect but i do think that like contrary to um Well, in one way, it kind of really suits, it really suits what you're describing about yourself. But contrary to this idea of just kind of just publishing on the fly, you've just released a book and it's a proper novel. Like it's a long form piece of writing that I assume you had to workshop over a number of years.
0: Well, you know Um, that because there are many drafts.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and, and it's kind of funny. I, I mean, first off, like, I mean, we, we should really talk about, like, what the content of the novel. But first off, I also thought that, like, the, you know, the delivery mechanism, the the, the kind of the multifaceted delivery mechanisms of the novel are really quite, quite beautiful. Right. So, like, mm. you you uh, release this novel in combination with a record um, of of music that, mm. that uh, that's kind of like a mood board EP, I think, as you as you classified it.
2: Yeah, mood board EP. Yeah
1: also in combination with what could be described as kind of like a, a critical essay about the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Like a kind of like a cliff notes for how to how to read the book, as well as yeah. all the different drafts of the book. Um, yeah. And then recently you've been selling NFT non-fungible tokens um, of <laughs> excerpts of the book. Um,
4: yeah, yeah.
1: So so anyway, I, I think it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I mean, cause the, 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 but, but, but the, but the, the, the core point really is that like, you know, you worked on this long form piece of writing and I wonder, you know, what, why, what, what was the thought process behind putting the novel out before we get into like what, what it is?
3: Mm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it also comes down to my past habits, like I've said previously is that, um, when I wasn't sure how to do things in the past or like whether I was on the right track or not, uh, my, I erred on the side of just making it public so that in, in the past, that's been very helpful for me because I've always been like vocal about what I've been doing. And then people people just like clambered in to help me or like point out things that were wrong or like I, in, in 2014, um, I wrote a book about the blockchain. um. I, it there's a full book about it but it I never published it because I for various reasons but it still exists online it's on github mm-hmm. um, but um, as I published it and wrote it people would give comments and feedback on like certain parts of the novel uh, not a novel the the, the nonfiction book the, on the blockchain mm-hmm. um, and that's always just been very helpful and useful based on the fact that um, I don't know what I'm doing
3: mm-hmm. and
2: if I publish it then people will put guardrails on there and like shove me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And so far that's been very useful. And I think people also just appreciate a, the creator on the other side, being openly vulnerable about what they're doing. It's yeah. like mm-hmm. if, if people say, I, I I am passionate about this thing and I, I this is my first time doing it. So, you know, shove me in the right direction. Yep, um, yep, yep. It's your choice if you want to contribute or not. So yeah, I, I, I decided to self-publish the book. Um, for for the main reason that um the sort of traditional publishing industry i think especially for a first-time author like seemed very daunting mm-hmm. um like i i didn't necessarily want to go through the channels of trying to convince people that this is a book worth publishing yep um and then waiting like another year or two for it to actually get up get to market or get published um i i just i just wanted like a faster feedback cycle in terms of like is this something that actually people enjoy before i spend the next three four years of my life actually doing this yeah um and that also comes from just being in a software industry as well and like being impatient with like long lead cycles Yep. yep, <laughs> yep. no it's a good and the and yep. the, and the, and the, the, the sorry the rest of the content is also just i enjoy doing stuff like that and i and in the past when i've when i've Say enjoy the piece of content, but I didn't necessarily understand it. Then the the extra content usually is like in in the past it would be like the 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 the, the notes in a CD case or or like uh, someone talked about their thing you get a different understanding about why they created that thing yep. or even like someone that's passionate about say a genre of music if you ask a metalhead to explain like why they like metal and you don't like metal <laughs> then you understand like nuances of the art form or like the specific genre much better so just going out and also publishing this companion guide of like i think it's like 50 pages like describing why i wrote the book and it's it's there for people if they want to read it but um Again, it also gives me clarity in understanding why I did this in the first place, but but yeah,
0: it reminded me of how we sometimes approach our press release for albums to kind of frame a work in a way, and um we kind of took that phrase the Doug Rushkoff uh, programme or be programmed," and said, um, mm-hmm. like um, what was it Analyze or be analyzed or you know like somebody's going to kind of like contextualize this work if you don't but if you go ahead and put that out there then at least your intent will be clear um mm-hmm. so i actually mm-hmm. really appreciated yeah, that totally
1: and also for it's just a, a kind of a reality right that like if the vast majority of people are gonna um are, who are gonna experience this work maybe don't get to interact with you or don't really know where mm-hmm. you're coming from it's kind of also providing them guide rails right like because mm-hmm. yeah. there's because there's also you can separate these things right because in a sense like if you're coming at something that does have a lot of uh that is kind of contextually loaded with stuff, you know, Mm. Um, one approach Mm. is to like stick all that context in a very direct way into the work itself. And you actually spoke to this, I think in the, in the kind of helper document, right. You were like, I don't want, I didn't want to write like a hard science fiction. Right. Mm. But, in order to integrate all of the stuff that you're describing, all the context around it, into the text or into the prose, it maybe would have come across more like a hard science fiction than it actually does, because mm. actually the you know the book itself, which we're going to talk about, I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but the, but the book itself is actually it's quite it's quite a it's quite a light read. Like it's a very character driven mm. read, right? It's not. Mm. Um, even though these people are living or existing in kind of this world that you built that has specific economic relationships, that has uh, yeah, a specific kind of like uh, cultural context, um, mm. you don't want to like put so much into that, yeah. that that it almost becomes like a didactic exercise or something like mm. you're, you're kind of like, yeah. um, and so that's kind of a similar, we, we've definitely done something similar in the past where you're kind of like, okay, like if you are one of the 25% of people who are maybe really interested in why this is happening, then here's this text and that means that like the artwork itself doesn't have to be like a super mm. sub sandwich with like <laughs> mm.
0: And it's also a yeah. way to show kind of the interdependence of ideas and to kind of
1: credit yeah. to
0: credit people yeah. for the their contributions that then kind absolutely. of sparked an idea in you, which I really yeah, appreciate. Absolutely.
2: I think it's um the one one part of it as well, which I think is is um uh, important to add is I, I didn't I, I think one can sometimes be like you said like rightly said you don't want to seem like you're preaching or or teaching yep. the audience like like um accept their intelligence when they're reading this mm-hmm. right but but if you want to go down the rabbit hole here's another way to do that mm-hmm. but i i ultimately i think it's like also still a fine line i think the the best works maybe don't need additional explanation Yep. but getting getting that right it's obviously super hard um but I know for a fact as well, there's been times where, where if I, when I had it at a context, my enjoyment of something was so much greater. Yep, Espe- yep. I feel it was this case, especially in music, where, a, 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 like I said before, someone from a specific genre could point me out why is this great. It's yep. like, ooh, this like diminished chord here and the thing with the rise here. And, and it's like, oh, it's beautiful. And then you're like, I would have never heard that if yeah, you told yep. me. So now I understand it better.
1: Mm-hmm. i think i genuinely think i was i had this argument with someone a while back like it is like a i mean these are bullshit kind of uh, uh distinctions but like it does seem to be a major difference between like you know people around about our age group probably grew up with a lot of like gen x or earlier artwork right like boomer gen x artwork um and to me like millennials what's, what's-
2: what's boomer gen x artwork
1: oh so like okay great uh well uh, basically just like uh if you if you were to arbitrarily break people into generations right there are like right people who maybe uh you know a boomer artwork well the might boomer be... you
0: know what a boomer is right or is that the question yeah yeah it's like
1: it's like it's like i'm curious
2: but like what artwork does boomers like or or what you're you're more referring to the fact that that people have been categorized based culturally categorized based on like age generation.
1: Exactly. And are familiar with certain modes of appreciating culture, right?
0: And different romanticisms. Right. And
1: different romanticisms. Okay. And so and I yeah. think that there is something that is somewhat true that people around about our age group and younger understanding a wide and having the tools available, most importantly, and being fluent at those tools, um, to be able to paint this richer contextual picture around an artwork is just mm. an expectation. And it always makes me think there was this I remember What's his name? Uh, Louis C.K. Another not unproblematic person to talk about <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, but but he had he had a show. I, I forget the name of the show. Louis, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he went um, in, in one of the sketches. He takes his daughter to see like Swan Lake or something, um, mm-hmm. and they're sitting in this theater, and the whole time she's on her phone, and he <laughs> and for him it's like this huge insult. Like so he's in this like fancy place. And then his daughter is there and he's like, God, everyone's going to think I'm this terrible parent. (laughs) that My daughter's there on the phone. Um, And so he keeps telling her to like turn her phone off, turn her phone off. And then when they leave the theater, um, he starts starts asking her, you know, what she thought of the piece. And it turns out that she wasn't like on social media chatting to her friends. She was just reading all of the information. Exactly. (laughs) All the information you could about the play while also watching the play. That's great. And she had the capacity to do that. And I saw that and I was like, you know what? I... the same way it's like it's like it's not even that it's not even that all this context works in an in an antagonistic way toward the piece of art it's that for me it's a richer experience of the art i want to know everything about it and and i think that's likely a product of exactly like i grew up around about the time that like you could go on weird fan sites about things and just learn everything you know that that was that was available to me in a way that it wasn't for Mm. generations prior
2: that's so true. I, I I didn't consider that because that's totally my habit as well. When I finish like reading something or watching TV or like movies or something, I almost immediately afterwards just go Google or read more on it. Totally, like the the actors and the production yep. and like and like what do people think about it and like just or like even just go on Twitter and like read comments from random people with like thirty <laughs> followers. Just what are what are people saying? Mm. Totally. But I, I didn't consider that actually. That's not necessarily normal behavior for other generations
1: (laughs) I think yeah it's funny I I just you know I think it's just an interesting like you know it's a it's a dimension of of the creative experience or the creative conversation that again if you were to take like expectancies from previous times where you couldn't do that. You couldn't provide Mm. that for people or where that, what you provided was this scarce thing, right? Like the liner notes on the vinyl record is something that people talk Mm. about and being like, Oh, I used to, you know, read, recite the lyrics religiously because that was all you had (laughs) available Mm. to you. Yeah. And it's like now, you know, that is just undoubtedly another dimension of creation that you can provide in conversation with other people. Um, Mm. And it doesn't necessarily need to fall into these kind of, older I'd say kind of 20th century conceptions that you know doing that makes the work less mysterious or more didactic these are all like bad terms if you think about like classic art education like the word
0: authenticity has like fully you know the definition of that has like fully transformed across generations I think exactly
2: but it's it it, it's still for me an interesting open-ended question of like of like where does the actual piece end and like where does the rest begin Yeah, yeah 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 um and I think that that also gives it sort of interesting you know future projects i've been I've been using Rome a lot recently, yep. Rome Research, which yep. is like a, a note taking app but like it's it's like super powered by the fact that you have all these bi directional links, so mm-hmm. you can go see what you said in a one article, but you didn't explicitly link it, so they call it like this idea of a second brain mm-hmm. and it's been really useful just for mapping out ideas from like your everyday life to like ideas for stories or whatnot and you know so I, I recently saw someone propose the idea of like what if you wrote a story in that manner mm-hmm. you know where where like as you there there's there's like a base layer but at, at every point there's a possibility to just dive deeper mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then you come come back to the base layer mm-hmm. which is like a really interesting way to like combine this idea that there's the you you acknowledge the fact that the rest of the world exists in this creative work mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. okay you can stop here, where you are in this part in the chapter, if you want to read, like, the history of this character. You can do that. Yep, yep. Click here in this page, you go read it, and then you can go back and continue reading. It should be interesting if, if like, stuff like that could be done. In... Well, it can definitely be done. I, want, I wonder what that will look like in practice.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess you're describing kind of like a non-linear storytelling methodology that I mm. guess we see a lot in video games is maybe the most...
2: That's... that's that's probably precisely where yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah
2: Regarding about that old other industry
1: <laughs> no it's true well, well i mean yeah well that's the funny thing too about like rome right i mean like for those who aren't familiar you know there's been a lot of excitement around rome as a um as a means of exactly like uh putting your thoughts down like creating these kind of links between things it's weird in a sense it kind of has that like that early web like those. xanadu kind of it's kind of like mm. xanadu lives but it's
2: exactly xanadu <clears throat> like kind of like oh, everything should be bi-directional links kind
3: mm. of
1: thing and exactly yeah. and it's funny because it it you know i mean to me obviously i attribute a great deal of romance to like that <laughs> parallel conception of how the web could have been um it, it's funny it really reminds us of a, a a friend of ours um uh david canega from uh from oakland who's like i would say in a, a similar uh he's from a similar universe or planet to you, Simon, in the sense of like, he's a uh, very kind of multi-talented and also creates these worlds. Like David has done, like
0: he's a musician, he's musician a video programmer. programmer. Yeah. He
1: makes, he makes, uh, uh, he basically came up with his own logic for procedurally generated music that he builds his own video games around. Um, the last video game he did was a dog opera based on universal basic income, <laughs> uh, uh,
2: that sounds amazing.
1: I it's, <laughs> That's it's, amazing. It's unbelievable. But he also did this project a while back where he was talking about, he talks sometimes at like game conferences because he's considered, I think in that space, he's considered kind of like a, you know, a relatively successful, but like outsider thinker, like people follow his thoughts about game dynamics. Um, and he came up with this one idea, which was, it's basically like a, a publishing idea where you use like the iPad and you can basically infinitely zoom so we're like thoughts um you can go further down a rabbit hole on a thought basically to infinity um and then zoom back in so rather than making mind maps on like a horizontal plane you make them by depth um i'd have to share it with you anyway but it just reminds me of this where it's like
0: I'd be really curious to see like what's the most uh, like terminal position for most um, searches. Like, where do most people end up? Is it Just like-, be like
1: I'm really deep?
0: No, you yeah. you know, but like if everyone ends up at like Plato or something, or,
1: yeah, like, no, Where exactly. does everything? What's the what's the earth? Yeah, right? what's <laughs> the or Yeah, exactly.
2: There was there was like a um, I think someone did a study. You know, in Wikipedia, like mm-hmm. most Wiki- Wikipedia pages start off with like a sentence that said, "This is." um something something and then it usually specifies a super group mm-hmm. related to the page yep. and then someone drew like a structure of wikipedia and like realized like everything points back to philosophy Okay. like everything yep. Yep. Er, all the wikipedia page eventually branches up to philosophy
1: <laughs> that, <laughs> that makes sense i and actually i want to yeah. refer to that a bit later because uh, reading specifically about your uh your thoughts on modernism postmodernism, and metamodernism let's
0: get into that now
1: you want to get into that we, we will talk about the book at some point, although I kind of enjoy this game. Whenever we have a guest on, we're always like, yeah, we'll eventually talk about the thing you just did. But let's just talk about
0: uh, well, like a fever is, dream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Metamodernism is related to the book, so we could tie it all together here.
1: Let's do that. Let's do that. Yes.
0: Because it also ties into this intergenerational kind of um, worldview that we've also been discussing.
1: You know, let's talk about the book first, though, because I think that establishing the hope, (laughs) the hope runner idea, this is all going to be super abstract without getting into the idea of hope and how it ties into some of these. Okay,
0: let's do it. Let's talk about hope.
1: Screw it. So, okay. So you have just released a novel, which (laughs) is your debut novel. It's not your first book, as you just clarified. And it is called... The Hope Runners of Gridlock. Mm-hmm. Would you mind giving us a high level overview of what this book is, please? Is.
2: <laughs> that's interesting because, like, that's one of the things where, like, like if you try to describe something, or like when people ask you, like, you should be able to give like a one liner for your novel. And I am like, oh, how do I distill this <laughs> into one line? So what I what I try to go like the highest level. We're talking about high level and going deep down. Is the highest level is it's a story about. Finding hope and belonging in a cyberpunk city with radical markets, um, and all of those are very loaded terms, um, which you could probably also delve deeper down to. But um, yeah, the uh, a more deeper sort of explanation is that it's a it's a story that takes place in the near future with like you un- uh, in a city that has like unique economic um, novel or in unique economic um, systems that was sort of it happened by accident due to this sort of strange anomaly that happened to the city. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's like a lot of uncertainty about like the world the city is in. Like it doesn't know what happened to the rest of the world. Like it's been cut off from the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And this over time, the city has built this economic system where they essentially fund every five years, they fund what's called the hope runner championship where they essentially ask people to participate, to become this hero that then ventures Across into the unknown and this anomaly to discover what happened to the world, um, and and a lot of the book is about sort of this interplay between like like um, just different economics themes of hope and belonging and like um, optimistic nihil nihilism, uh, meta modernism, interesting economics, and I hope that's a it's a good description. It's a great from, description to dive deep deep. No. It's, a, it's
1: also very interesting kind of the setting of the city in a sense like when we were talking about it earlier the what i thought was really clever and correct me if this is correct me if this is if this is wrong in some way but it's almost kind of like watching a drama take place on like a still photograph of a mega city because mm. in essence you know for example in the city you have these I, i'm i'm what what were they called the, the the public car markets right
2: yeah the public car markets yeah
1: and so it's almost like you know you look at like a, a city and you have these kind of fixed buildings there right it's like if you were to take a snapshot of any city and just imagine that all those cars there were somehow like the the you know the foundations stasis, of yeah. exactly in stasis they were the foundations of the city and then you start building from that premise. Um, I think yeah. uh, it, 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 Okay,
0: that's something I want to clarify Can okay. we talk about this How this infrastructure works Because I was struggling To understand this A little bit Right <laughs> Like, so the cars Are definitely stationary always
1: Yes uh, Ah, yeah, okay correct. Yeah. Okay Yeah, they, the cars Become kind of real estate
0: Right But I didn't yeah. know If there was like Some movement within that
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That That I mean um, While I was writing the book I was like, sh- like Should there be movement or not And like eventually I just decided Like, you know Just for the sake of like Making it clear, it's like well, the place is called Gridlock.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) I know, but Gridlock is never really not moving. Gridlock is like a slow crawl. So I didn't know. It's it's like
2: it's like it's it's like you know it was like this isn't spoiling much because it's like the second chapter of the novel. But like (laughs) essentially, what happens in the history of this the city is that there's a strange anomaly that happens, and like the people were forced to leave due to uh, a impending climate catastrophe, and then this anomaly happened. And then all the cars were just stuck in this gridlock. Um, but because they don't know what's happening on the other side of this anomaly, um, there were people that wanted to return, but there were still people that wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you have this, what you always see in scenes with like apocalypse movies and mm-hmm. stuff where it's just like, every, there's this giant gridlock mm-hmm. in the city. Um, and because there was this uncertainty and because sometimes in uncertainty, you have people that take chances, they started, there were these like, Businessmen that were either greedy or smart, depending on your perspective, that started giving people opportunity to return to their homes, but buy their cars in the gridlock, and so you had this at first this organic market starting <laughs> to, to develop, yep. and then um, after a while, because it was this market that suddenly appeared, and as is the case happened in the real world when things like this happen, there was this attempt to formalize it, and then at that point it was decided that when it was formalized, that it will be forever static. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: yes so the the other thing i
2: could also go into more like if if necessary i can also go more like the economics of this the, the car markets themselves as well but um i
1: think that'd be quite interesting because that, that was going to be, be my next question actually is just you know we had uh, glenn on the podcast quite mm-hmm. early for example but as a refresher for those joining right now when you say you know there's this kind of novel economic environment Um, When you make the reference to radical markets, would you mind like clarifying, you know, what that is and maybe how how they work in that world? Mm -hmm.
4: For
2: sure. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, when I make reference to radical markets, it's it's a specific reference to the work that Glenn Weil and uh, has done and the movement that is created um, called Radical Exchange, which um, is broadly a movement to, you know, use new forms of mechanism mechanism design for positive social change um and one of the ideas in the novel not the novel i keep saying the novel (laughs) one of the ideas in the book that he wrote with eric posner was um something called cost which stands for common ownership self-assessed tax Mm -hmm. and it's actually not a new idea it was just recently popularized due to the book they wrote um it was actually first proposed by an economist, I think, in the '60s, called Arnold Harberger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how it works is, um, it's it's like a it's a it's a property rights system that is in between like pure private ownership and like complete public ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, so how it works is like finds a middle ground between these two, where um, when you own an asset, you always have to specify a sale price, mm-hmm. and um, you can't specify like you know, I buy a house and I decide it's worth a bajillion dollars yep. so, so that no one buys it from you, you have to specify a realistic sale price because you have to pay a tax on, on the price you set. Mm-hmm. So it comes also from like the Georgist sort of economic traditions where you try to tax land or land value mm-hmm. um, to get um, economic um, taxes. Um, so if what you end up is this middle ground where when you buy, buy something, you always have to specify a sale price, and like I said before, you, you it's it's always on sale, um, so you get this middle ground between people can own things, but like it can, it, someone can buy it from you tomorrow, and your job is to just consistently put a sale price at which you regard to be the price that you think it's worth.
0: And one of the uh, thought processes that Glenn had behind this was that it would kind of um, prevent um, yeah like wealth hoarding yeah. or kind of like asset Absolutely. hoarding and you know he yeah. he even kind of takes it down to like the micro like your bicycle or like you know mm. small kind of assets yeah. that you have right
2: yeah so it's like um i i think also it's also something i mentioned in the companion guide is that um one of the my, my favorite phrases referring to this this property rights system is that it is good for um assets that ought to be owned in the commons Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so it is something where it benefits from the fact that we are not excluding people from access to it but we also still want people to individually invest in whatever they own Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it it finds like a middle ground for specific stuff it's like one one example that's often cited is um like spectrums Mm -hmm. where like you don't want someone to buy because the spectrum is scarce, but it's a common good because we can all benefit from the public spectrum. So like instead of someone buying the spectrum and then not utilizing valuable spectrum space, they have to keep paying for their right to keep excluding access from this valuable spectrum. Yep. Um, and in other circumstances, it's things like, you know, productive factories or like things that could be invested in and built up to be productive. Yep. There are obviously classes of assets, which I other people might disagree with me but like i believe it's like not good ideas for this kind of model yep. um like you know, no one wants to like like constantly have to price their sentimental heirlooms you know it's yeah, like yeah. Just, yeah. just just it's it's too much yep. um but but something i also try to do with the novel and i think i guess with all my kind of writing in general is like try to bridge this gap between like wanting to build new kind of economic systems that empower people but you know you don't want to go too far that we build markets into everything and then we we lose sort of relationships that has nothing to do with pricing or markets or finance
0: I remember so it's, it's also a
2: critique in that sense. Yeah.
0: I remember having conversations with economist friends of mine when that book came out and I was talking about it and they were being kind of critical. And my take on it was, well, I just feel like it's a kind of, exper- you know, it's experimental thought process, kind of like a science fiction novel. I always yep. kind of yep. saw his yep. book as kind mm-hmm. of a science Absolutely. fiction. So it makes total sense that well, you these would are build provocations. World-
1: That's the totally. thing. It, yeah, it's, yeah. It, once you understand these things as, as provocations i think they're far more useful because mm. because naturally I mean, yeah. you know the idea that any one kind of economic proposal would be would be appropriate in mm-hmm. every circumstance mm-hmm. is is absurd right um so in, by that token every economic proposal could be easily shot down mm-hmm. um mm. but yeah these are these are these are provocations and 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 certainly stimulating ones right it's it's a it's a very mm-hmm. provocative idea i mean yeah. we for example like we live in berlin and um, the idea of kind of like property hoarding based on speculation is something that's really real here. Right. Like mm. you go through um, you know, the capital city of Germany, which in some senses is kind of the economic capital of Europe. Right. Um, and you can walk for 10 minutes in any direction.
0: I don't think anyone would call Berlin the economic capital of Europe.
1: Well, I would say Germany is the oh, yeah, capital sorry. of Europe, right? And, yeah, yeah. and Berlin is the capital city. Of, yeah, yeah. And and as a result, it becomes a store of value mm-hmm. for people uh, speculating on future property prices. And so you can walk for in twenty minute for twenty minutes in any direction in Berlin, and see like no businesses open on the ground mm-hmm. floor.
0: And you yeah, can't even yeah. get access to renting those storefronts yeah, yeah. because people are just like yeah. squatting them until the price goes up. Exactly.
1: Exactly.
2: <laughs> that's 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 exactly kind of the the sort of. Um, the kind of externalities from like that kind of property rights system that you want to avoid the same thing in places like manhattan where Uh you walk there and it's like empty retail stores and everything because because the rent is too high and it's like this is productive space that -hmm. that should be available to people to use in the community and it's just standing empty that that's that's a system that's gone too far and so i agree with you in a sense like the radical markets i what i found valuable about the book was it it just provided this extra space for discussion, and 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 it also felt to me like it also put like blockchain as 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 like a sort of economic experiment under a greater umbrella, mm-hmm. where it's just like <clears throat> these are like new ideas that we want to experiment with um, in terms of economics. We can try them in smaller scales before like going and lobbying governments and saying, hey, maybe it's a, maybe we should like turn everything into this economic model, mm-hmm. and we have like data where this virtual world decided to use this private property system mm-hmm. or like or like this this sort of uh, intellectual property was mediated through <clears> this new <throat> kind of system so I uh, it's just it's just a space for exploration which I really 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 enjoy
0: it's also along these lines of kind of property speculation thinking about how much valuable space um, uh, that cars take up in a city, mm-hmm. you know, just by the yeah. kind of like width of the, the roads and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a there's a proposal here in Berlin by a, a group of, uh, I think they're from Die Linke, who are trying to get a portion of Berlin to be um, entirely car-free, uh, car-free yeah. except for taxis and buses, yeah. um, which is an interesting proposal. I doubt it will happen because Germany's so pro <laughs> car. It's like <laughs> such an industry here, but it's an interesting mm. proposal to think about how, you know, the scale of cars versus the scale of the human body and how much also kind of Mm. yeah
1: isn't that i mean speaking sorry about cars and human bodies isn't there a story about this that like you know before the advent of ubiquitous cars um streets were considered public spaces and then lawsuits started happening because people were driving these new cars through through streets and inadvertently kind of hitting people
0: I and so know.
1: car <laughs> lobbyists I think this is true. I'm probably <laughs> butchering it, but I think it's true. And so the the story of like the common road mm-hmm. was this idea that, you know, basically car lobbyists were lobbying the cities to say, well, in order to, you know, in order to properly reconcile this problem of people being hit by cars, what we need is to take over the space well, for in, cars. in most European, But it wasn't like obvious initially. That, in
0: most European towns, there is a, a zone like an only pedestrian zone yeah. and all over Germany and, and large parts of Europe. It's kind of weird that Berlin doesn't have one. So that's what they're kind of like lobbying for yeah. to get a zone
2: yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for uh, carless spaces. I, I was in, I, last year I was in Japan for a month and it mm. was just like one of the most amazing places to be because yep. you could walk everywhere and there's, there's one thing I realized with about Japan is like, uh, it's something you see when people say it to you, but you don't see it otherwise is they have very little on-street parking yep. in Japan yep, yep, yep. and it's just one mm-hmm. of those things when you see it, you're like, wow, this is, I really enjoy this. It's just yep. less clutter and everything. And it was just very nice for me, you know, growing up in South Africa, where it's like a very car-driven culture, mm-hmm. and, and also not necessarily as safe to walk. Um, and and that was just great. So super, super huge advocate for that kind of. We spaces. all share that
1: background, actually.
0: A we car, all come from, we come car, from, from car, car societies, yeah, we're allergic to them because yeah, exactly. of it. Yeah. But let's yeah. talk about some of the cities that inspired some of the landscape, because you mentioned in mm. your primer, you mentioned um, Hong Kong. Which I can mm. definitely see,
1: and Cairo, and is Cairo, the long, which makes excited, a lot right. of
0: sense as well. Can we talk yeah. about that a little bit?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I've been fortunate to visit a, a bunch of cities across the world, and and I, th- I think this also ties to sort of the topic earlier about like, like why I produce and like why I make stuff. Um, you know, grow, like I said before, growing up in South Africa, you know, I grew up in a small town, mostly. Um, at the southern tip of Africa, just outside Cape Town, and um, y- you always saw what the rest of the world looked like from you know the tip of the world where everything felt far away, and and like I remember the first time like reading like gaming magazines, and in reading that like places like South Korea is like a hundred megabit internet oh yeah and, like i still have dial-up and you yeah. are like there's this future somewhere it's like <laughs> and it's there it's in japan it's in south korea it's in hong kong all these like asian cities with like these amazing what seemed like the future and like the culture to match and so when i got the chance to travel and like visit some of these places it was super magical for me just to just to be able to like witness this, like a city city you know mm-hmm. where there's 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 actually a building that's higher than ten stories, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, and so it's just really awesome to see that. And and two of the 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 um, cities that inspired parts of the novel were Hong Kong and and Cairo. Um, Hong Kong is one of my favorite cities because it it marries together so many interesting um, spaces and cultures. So you have this like something that feels like it's you know straight from Blade Runner. Uh, it's like well, Quite literally features. Quite literally <laughs> is yeah, literally. I think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but you take like a 30 minute Ferry ride away from the city And then you're in just beautiful beautiful nature And mm-hmm. islands and it's really beautiful um, But there is this area in Hong Kong Called the Mid-Levels mm-hmm. Which is on Hong Kong Island And there's this section where in order to tra- tra- Traverse the the city As it as it goes up into, towards the mountain They built these escalators At like a certain height Through the buildings so you know once you go through these these escalators you're at sort of like mid building height but there's also street level stuff below you and it was just like really magical experience of like th- like this was like what i thought cities in sci-fi would be like mm-hmm. and it felt and it's like it exists yep, yep. and then also in cairo um i was there this year in the beginning of this year before before everything went went to lockdown modes um and uh, visiting um, some friends, and they, they, um, they took they took us around the city. And one thing that stood out to me is they they said, "What started happening recently is in order to alleviate congestion in the city, they just built bridges over the existing roads." Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So instead of like bothering to like clear out the bottom roads, just like they just built a road above it. And then what happened is like you get this experience of like the actual. Street that existed below is now underground essentially yep, yep yeah, yeah. so so that was like definitely strange because it, the some of the parts in the city and in, in the novel um there's a part called the trunks in the yep. novel which is um it's like the 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 people started building structures over the cars yep. in the novel and then the, the trunks started existed um, Stunk started existing as this new underground in the city, and to see it actually being corroborated in a city like Cairo was mm-hmm. like, wait, mm-hmm. I'm actually on the right track here. This is not actually in the future. This is right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it was really, really, really cool to see that. But I, I just enjoyed seeing cities that 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 like, you know, um, they they sort of relinquished their desire to control human nature and just like allowed these things to exist like let's build escalators in between buildings mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and so sort of other kind of strange things which to me feels like a more organic representation of the society and the people living there
1: yeah totally while you're in cairo did you by any chance go to the city of the dead
2: i did not know i was there for a, there for a few days and like only managed to see all the the main sites and stuff yeah.
1: yeah i mean it's huge too it's totally understandable we we were it's actually our first ever trip together we went to cairo it was quite quite <laughs> oh, a long time ago I'd imagine it was un- a, romantic yeah to- <laughs> it was it was it was very cool it was very uh yeah, it was very it was very uh very budget trip i would say uh given given where we were at the time yeah. um but that but we went um yeah there's there's this amazing part of the city that um called the city of the dead where Mm -hmm. it's pretty much i guess the the equivalent in other uh, countries or cultures would be like a favela or like a shanty town or something like that Mm -hmm. um but basically it was this kind of open land that used to be a huge cemetery or a huge mausoleum Mm -hmm. um and when you go there basically people built have started building like an improvised city on top of
0: the graves the
1: graves and it's it's wild because you're, you're walking through. And I mean, and of course by now, if you weren't like looking for details, it just kind of looks like a part of a city where it's like fairly like ad hoc, you know, where there's like cables hanging everywhere. There's like a cable yeah, hanging yeah. from, but then when you, when well, you know uh, that going into the it. The cables
0: hanging are because there's no electricity there except for in the mosques. Yeah, exactly. So all of the community kind of ciphers electricity out of the mosque. So that you have like these little mosques in the middle and then you have like these crazy, like electric cables coming out of the mosque.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah.
2: That's, that, that's exactly it. Like when, when, um when I drove to the, to see the pyramids, Mm -hmm. you drive through like a large part of Cairo and Giza Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to see all these buildings that were, it it seemed like very ad hoc built. uh, It it was incredible. It was incredible sight. You know, I obviously I try to, I try to like, you know, recognize where I am in terms of like, I don't want to fetishize like that kind of living and and, and, and whatnot, but it's, but it's just like it, to me, It like resembled this incredible humanity Mm -hmm. A form yeah. of humanity in terms of like it's like it's like this is the kind of emergent structures that we are capable of mm-hmm. um um but you know obviously also trying to recognize that this was out of necessity for a lot of people um that they just, just try to make a living and get by um but it's just incredible to see in fact it's it's like it was more incredible to see that than the permits for me
1: yeah but yeah. it's mostly
2: because like I really enjoy cities and seeing how people build societies so uh-huh. you know the, the pyramids were like yeah you it was incredible but like just to see the road towards the pyramids to me was like more fascinating
1: that, that makes a lot of sense though I think yeah I mean I mean the pyramids are are gorgeous um it's also one of those funny things where when you get there you also realize that you're really familiar with like one angle of the pyramids (laughs) and then when you turn your head a little bit you're like oh pizza hut (laughs) (laughs) um, no but you're totally you're totally I mean no they're remarkable but like the the, uh, yeah but you're you're totally right right it's like it's it's somehow more real and I mean of course you're you're if you don't mind me saying so, you are an infrastructure nerd, and so it's it's no surprise <laughs> that going to like a mega city like Cairo or whatever, you're going to be more interested in where the cables yeah. lead. Um. But
0: also where <laughs> where so much of it is kind of like yeah, improvised, like yeah. in the city of the uh, the city of the dead is that what it's called, or like in in the old city where all of a sudden the street isn't paved anymore, and you have just like a very different kind of like almost like um, traffic rule Then yeah, totally. outside of the unpaved area. It's, yeah, it's very interesting to see how people organize outside of the kind of state
1: yeah. in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, Anybody- that's the other point. Because most people in the yeah. City of the Dead are completely unregistered.
0: Yeah, they have no idea how the population they, is They there. think
1: there's millions of people there, but they're just completely outside of the, of, of the authorities. Mm. So that, mm. Sorry, I had to cut you off, but yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I just, I just really enjoy that kind of emergent societal systems and structures that, that when people are left to their own devices, they, they invent and become mm-hmm. creative and, and, and genius in mm-hmm. their own right, for sure.
1: But on that topic, I think uh, so. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on that I think is really cool, or like, kind of maybe an interesting question here. Um, so we preempted this a little bit in saying, okay, so you're someone who's worked on a bunch of stuff and um, is, has now released kind of like a, a, a science fiction novel in kind of the classic format, right. Of a character driven, a character driven story, uh, that involves world building. Um, we then talk about, you know, how we appreciate in some ways, uh, someone like a Glenville who, you know, releases kind of provocations or speculations in the form of like economic mechanisms. It also so happens that in, you know, uh, I, w- I wouldn't even say you wearing a different hat because the thing there's 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 like a clear uh continuity for me between a lot of the stuff that you do. You know, you've also been very very responsible for inventing uh different economic mechanisms some of which would be really cool <clears throat> uh, to go into some of which are maybe a bit out of scope for this discussion, right? But like for example, you were one of the the kind of key architects of the ERC20 uh token standard which, you know, uh Basically spawned, you know, uh, what we understand to be a lot of contemporary crypto. I mean, like, or, you know, the, the contemporary blockchain space, this idea of being able to mint and distribute uh, uh, tokens and build companies and, and scenes off off the back of that. Um,
0: Let's define that a little bit before we move forward, just so that we don't... Let's define it.
1: it after I finish my point, because I okay. don't want because I might have to just go okay. all the way around to just finish this. Okay. My question is really, and I think it's kind of an interesting it's an interesting question, right? It's like, you know, in a way, something like an Ethereum for me, I mean, even the term sounds like something from a science fiction, <laughs> right? Uh, and a lot of like the early imagery and, and language around it, I mean like- 3CPO? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, well, like, the, like Ethereum in and of itself, like the language and the imagery, it has its own lore. I mean, it has fan yeah. fictions, right? Mm. And in a weird way, some of the fan fictions are, are almost like the companies that, that spawn out of it, you know? It's, um, yeah. Where is you know is there I mean is it useful to draw lines between these things you know like what is the difference between um, you know actively producing uh, the conditions for uh, the future to happen a future to happen in the in the form of like a token standard or something some protocol like that um, and building and world building in this more maybe say classic kind of fictional context. Um, i just thought it's an interesting parallel to bring up
0: totally it's both world building but they're kind of different Mm. yeah very different yeah
1: that is a really good question (laughs) it's like maybe it doesn't have an answer
2: maybe that's why yeah yeah but it's, it's interesting to 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 ponder about i think you know you're correct in saying that you know ethereum and the blockchain space it it had this like mystical Like techno shaman vibes to it when, (laughs) when in the early days and even still today, it's like there's a lot of magic about it that that's like, you know, it's like hidden in this mathematics and cryptography and prime numbers and elliptic curves and all this like crazy like mathematical jargon and things like that. Mm -hmm. It it does feel like sci-fi you know Mm -hmm. and 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 like you know obviously i've also contributed to a lot of the jargon where you wouldn't be able to distinguish whether it's sci-fi or real um so so, sorry for that but uh, um it's um it's it's definitely interesting question in terms of like the sort of staying in the real world and inventing these things and also like writing fiction as part of like world building um you know because in in a lot of the stuff i write I, I do attempt to also provide examples and, and like visions of the future mm-hmm. um, saying like like years like the token standard that allows people to more readily create like digital assets on the blockchain yep. why is this useful and then you give like a bunch of examples and sketch like a future um, but I think I think fiction fiction over reality um, I think one of the reasons why I'd, you know, I could have I could have written this novel as just an idea. It's like, yeah. here's a future city with these kind of economics, and this might happen in the future, or we might think it might be possible. So there you have it. But <laughs> to write like a character-driven story, um, for me, if you do it right, then the rest of it sort of gets carried along on it on 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 like a probably a better way to describe this but like it it all rides along like this wave of all the pieces together
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, providing like a stronger narrative for like sketching a specific future um, because what you have in fiction that you probably not necessarily have in sketching just modern, like general futures is like you have more possibility to make people feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a creator, there's actually a YouTuber. It's also South African guy called Dan Mace, and and he he had this. He spoke at some point. He spoke about like you know the parts of the art of storytelling, and then like he said, like at the end, your goal is to make people feel something. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go and sketch a new future, and you, and you have the ability to then also make people feel something about that future. I think you're you're achieving more than just like writing about p- potential futures, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's I guess in my case it's it was it was it was both sort of just wanting to merge various ideas together from like interesting cities to like novel economic systems, and which I've done a lot of stuff on in the past, and also just like you know ideas about the world and my own feelings about you know life in general that yeah. I wanted to merge together and put it all in things that I enjoy. I enjoy sci-fi, I enjoy economics, I enjoy thinking about life and things. So that was, that was just my way to put it all together.
0: Have you ever thought about trying to combine them in some way where you create a new kind of interaction, economic interaction on Ethereum, and then that you write the kind of characters around it and then there's kind of like a fan fiction that well, goes- This is what I
1: was gonna say. Oh. Like, well, I'm sorry, is... I didn't mean to steal your No, no it yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> but Years ago, like, <laughs> years ago I won't mention the project because I'd want their permission to do so but years ago I have a friend who works on a you know relatively prominent project in the decentralized space and they have a a very anachronistic like not anachronistic sorry very idiosyncratic language around what they do like following the the company is kind of like following a really esoteric science fiction project (laughs) and the whole time I was like why don't you just make this you
0: need characters yeah
1: like like when I follow your company, I should just be like reading a comic book. Like, in fact, you could get more people interested in this if, if it was just, if it was abstracted from, you know, from, from boring day to day, like what would it mean if you could like invest your time or energies or contributions toward a story, like a fantastical story. And it just so happened that the outcome behind that would be really interesting technical development or, Impact in the, in other ways. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I think
2: I think that that space, like you guys are both correct. That space to me is super super fascinating because, like, you know, somehow trying to merge storytelling with a bunch of the ideas that I've contributed towards and the ideas that exist in the blockchain space in general. Um, yep. I think my dream is to see something like, you know, Disney, but 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 we all have co-created a story together and share. In, in like the equity of what's been produced, so you know essentially, what if you get the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we all created this together and we yep. all share in the revenue and and like connections that have been made from it, um, in like a more egalitarian manner. Um, there's actually one of the blog posts I wrote touches more specifically on um, it's it's like a framing of storytelling that that I that I like to use to describe certain kinds of story narratives and like the difference that I the well I would describe it is like the difference between finite storytelling mm-hmm. and infinite storytelling mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. this framing comes from a book by James cars called um, Finite and Infinite Games mm-hmm. and it it basically a, a finite game is like um, it's a it's called a game in like a in like literal sense but also a broader sense as in the game of life yep. but it's um it's a finite game is something which is played to have a winner and a loser and yep. And the infinite game is played such that we continue play yep. mm. uh, or try to continue play happening. And if you if you um, use that kind of categorization in terms of storytelling, what you have is like 90% of stories today that we are familiar with are finite stories. Yep. They have this con- concrete beginning and end. Like there's, there's supposed to be this feeling of like escapism where like you're invested in the story and the characters have this like conflict narrative that they have to overcome and like they grow as people and like, you know, all this kind of like cliches around storytelling. And then the rest of what um, you can sometimes find is called infinite storytelling. And this has become more prevalent in, um, in the modern era with the internet. Mm -hmm. And I guess memes kind of fall into the space of infinite storytelling. Like there's no end to memes, like there's, and there technically wasn't any beginning. Right. So um, a good example of, uh, Infinite storytelling project is a project called scp which stands for secure Contain, protect mm-hmm. and it's a creative writing exercise that has a wikipedia where people take strange things that they see in the real world and like write these paranormal logs about mm. these of uh, these unique creatures or unique events it's like here's an anomaly and it was and 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 the whole thing acts like this bureau where it's like all these people like logging all like the strange events in the world but it's a creative writing exercise and that to me is a good example where it's like there's no beginning to this there was a beginning obviously but like there's no end to it and the purpose is to continuously invent to be continuously novel to to like to be self-aware about what you're doing you know the strange like meta storytelling perspective and like that idea plus like Blockchain economics, like that, sounds super exciting, man! It's definitely something I so want to try.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I, uh, I can only make the assumption because you're South African that you must know Neil Blomkamp. Mm,
3: mm. <laughs> yeah,
2: my per-
1: buddy, personally, because yeah, all South yeah. Africans know each other. But um, yeah. no, but it's funny what you mentioned earlier the the Disney, um, uh, uh the Disney example, the kind of commonly owned and uh, commonly produced Disney. Did you ever mm. uh, check out his Oats Studio project?
2: Um. I I have not, but I think you've mentioned it on a podcast before. Maybe uh, I can't remember <laughs> with, with what guest, but it's but it it was something in that line where we're like um, people could co-own the productions, and and is that correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it's kind of it's really neat in a sense, right? Because he obviously he made these kind of really wonderful, very specific kind of worlds for these movies, um, and I get the impression he's he was kind of v- quite frustrated with the the you know the, the film industry and he was like okay well what i do, in order to put his movies together he has this like crack team of people who develop their own characters they do their own practical effects they do their own special effects whatever um he's like well what we're going to do is we're going to make basically every year or every season we'll make a bunch of little short films each of these short films have their own special unique assets and then the community can basically uh check out the different films over time like vote which which threads they'd like to continue and downvote which things they're not interested in all of the assets we produce are open to the community so you can go and make your own side stories with these same assets that are like beautifully modeled and Mm -hmm. rendered um and then with the goal being that, like, by the end of it, you'd be able to create, you know, longer narrative fictions that just continue because everybody has the same tools from that franchise to just continue the story in multiple different directions. Um, I'm not sure what the state of it is now, but it's very complementary to what you're describing. And, and with you both being South Africans, you could just knock on his door, I'm sure. That- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I
2: love that. I, 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 really, I really like that concept and idea. It's like the ability to just, like, just, just open up the, the guts more of yep, like yep, yep. storytelling and like allow people to remix and create that's also why i released the novel under the creative Commons. well for various other reasons as well but it was just like this i i've gained so much from sharing what i'm doing and what i've created and my ideas that i don't think i would ever not do it like this you know mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. like i want people to remix and and co-create and like think up new things or like tell me why it sucks or why it's good and whatnot you know yeah
0: it's reminding me of this like very kind of western idea of history of this kind of teleology that also was such a thing in western art music that was like you know the the um the melodic and harmonic um kind of uh form needs to be leading towards something there has to be a goal and then it mm-hmm. has to resolve and then you know we kind of break out of that in the middle of the century mm-hmm. and we kind of get into loops and things like that and finding kind of new aesthetics and and ways to break out of that perspective and I still find myself struggling with this kind of only having this kind of like teleological perspective even in my own art making sorry that was very tangential Mm -hmm. no
1: actually it's not and I'm I'm staggered you can tell we didn't check each other's notes beforehand (laughs) because I have something very complimentary to say on that okay um (laughs) Let me try and think of a way to segue this back in so we just aren't talking to each other. Okay. <laughs> um, Please, go
2: ahead. <laughs> no. I, I enjoy listening to you guys. Oh, that's the very,
1: very kind. <laughs> yeah, it's just, we just, um, no, no, uh, uh, it's funny. So uh, in your liner notes or uh, in your liner notes, your, your, comp- your cliff notes, your, your complimentary kind of publication, you brought up, speaking of stories we tell ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You brought up this idea of metamodernism, which we're going to mm. go into. Um <laughs> as somehow like metamodernism, which was conceived in the 70s as a means of reconciling like how do you have a post postmodernism, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, screw that. Um and it was funny because <clears throat> uh when I was reading through your notes and the book, um, and one thing that occurred to me have you ever heard of a guy called Francois Julien? I have not, no. Alright, I gotta share this with you. So he is a French sinologist so his whole his whole thing he's he's contributed a great deal of of uh, he's written a ton of books and a great deal to so like art criticism discourse um also just philosophy but his specialty or specialism is looking at differences between western and predominantly chinese thought um and one of he wrote this book called the treatise on efficacy um which is very interesting it was the, the, and the I'm going to completely butcher this because, as with any of these things, it's quite difficult to reduce stand-in sentences. <laughs>
4: Absolutely. Yeah. But
1: one of the one of the ideas behind it, to speak to what you were saying about Western art music, is that um, I actually got a quote here. Oh wow! So there is he suggests that there's a Western preference for direct frontal and heroic confrontation um, that is intimately linked to a planned, goal oriented, and rational, calculative logic of action. Thus, a revolutionary designs the model of the city that must be built. <laughs> a soldier sets out the plan of war to be followed. An economist decides on the growth curve to target. Each projects upon the world an ideal plan mm-hmm. that will then have to be incorporated into factual reality.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And in the book, his basic distinction is that one kind of distinction between Western and Eastern thought is is that within many schools of, of traditional Eastern thought, there's far more emphasis on like, pragmatism on basically seeing the world as you know this this thing that flows that's just continuously flowing it's always becoming and you're having to constantly reposition yourself in accordance with that Mm -hmm. which is very different to the kind of frustrated ambitions (laughs) of this kind of western hero's journey Mm -hmm. and it was just funny because i also you mentioned joseph campbell right in 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 your in your notes this idea that everything's this plan that you have to fit and it did Mm -hmm. it did make me think we should go into metamodernism but it did make me think that you know if i had a critique of something like a metamodernism it is in a sense like it is in a sense again coming back to this kind of western idea of being like no no no, we have to have a plan (laughs) you know like we have to have this one coherent thing and like modernism didn't work and then postmodernism doesn't work so then we'll have metamodernism and you're like well maybe (laughs) part of the challenge here is exactly this kind of like ur problem that everything mm. is us trying to find like this hyperrational uh hyperrational approach that like is infallible where when of course Julien's argument at least within within certain Eastern rubs of thought is that you know the idea of some an infallible logic is absurd anyway so mm. i'm i'm ranting a lot just to try and drag you back to the metamodernism <laughs> point but I, but, but yeah, that was
0: a good segue i up. think it is it's a, it's, a, it's very
1: interesting uh, <laughs> and will bring us to hope eventually yeah for sure it's like
2: um I the the sort of you talk about Joseph Campbell and metamodernism um and and also like the difference between western kind of narratives and and eastern narratives I it's it's like you know as I've written a lot and like you know got into storytelling I I've done a sort of lot of research on like you know just storytelling in general but also like wondering you know why does it also touched in previous conversation? Why does stuff like SCP exist? Like why mm-hmm. why does that exist? Because it doesn't follow the normal na- narratives of like what stories should be, right? Yeah. It's like this is not like the monomyth of the hero's journey and like the person that undergoes these strife and like realizations of of character and like returns to share the lessons with the people. You know, <laughs> so it's like none of these grand grand things. Like why do they exist? And 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 that is also explained to a certain extent by. You know, the fact that we do have other kinds of narratives or storytelling that isn't the Western, you know, monomyth or Joseph Campbell mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of stories. Um, like one one example of that, which is strangely, it's like, it's one of the like most read articles on my blog, which which is just from people searching the term. Mm-hmm. It's like, the it, it's, it comes originally from Chinese poetry, but it also became popular in Japan. It's called Kisho Tenketsu, which mm-hmm. is, um, it's a, it's a, it's a form of storytelling that 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 it it's often described as like storytelling without conflict, but I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that statement. But it but but how it works is the way I try to describe Kish- Kisho Tenketsu is that um, the the narrative tension is not in the story. Mm-hmm. The narrative tension is between the story and the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to to give an example of how it works, Kisho Tenketsu um, stands for like four um, four specific parts in a story it's first like the introduction then it's like interesting development Mm -hmm. then they call it a turn which is Mm -hmm. like a twist or something and then there's like the final points the elucidation that describes the turn Mm -hmm. Um, and um, it the, the goal of that is The first two parts, the intro and the development, right? Gives you an introduction, basically. Mm -hmm. And then something completely irrelevant to the original section of the story happens. Like, there's no connection between these two. You're like, it's like something happens and then something completely irrelevant happens Mm -hmm. in the the twist or the turn. And then the elucidation goes, here's why they are tied together. Here's why these two Mm -hmm. previous scenes like are something together mm-hmm. and what's delightful about those kind of stories is that because you know the pattern you're always waiting for this delight of this elucidation like mm-hmm. you read it because it's yep. not because like oh uh, it's like i want to see how the character overcomes his internal weaknesses and, and conquers the villain and whatnot <clears throat> no it's just like sometimes it's just very simple stories where it's just like oh i'm not going to read it because i want to know how these two concepts tie together mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's just that's just a simple delight of a storytelling narrative um that's cool so so I, I enjoy that that kind of exploration in terms of like other kind of stories and storytelling and and like for for like the, the book that i just wrote it's like i just wanted to see like can i write like a story that like people say this is okay
1: <laughs> yeah. simon like, simon your book is okay <laughs> okay, and we should
2: complete it. Um, you know before before i start like exploring other kinds of narratives and storytelling yep, which i do yep. want to explore i think there's a lot there it's it, a good example of, of of like other kinds of narratives you also find it in gaming where you know for a long while there was this like gaming was like very sort of um western storytelling dominated kind of feeling which is like here's this hero that goes on the quest to defeat yeah, yeah, the ogre yeah. and like <clears throat> and like The sort of very like 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 um, strong like um, masculine driven stories and conflict narratives and things like that, and then things like the Sims came around and like Animal Crossing, which was it was completely different. You were just like you're just playing at living. Yeah, you're just gardening
1: right now. Yeah, there's
2: no end. There's no end. You know, there's there's no point. Like you're just talking to your villagers and and having fun and singing with them, and it's like this is. This is fun. I like this. <laughs> you yeah. know. So right. like, like that kind of storytelling. I think we need to explore more in general. But um, I I know it's, it's talked a lot, but we haven't actually gotten down to describing what metamodernism is. So uh, <laughs> no, that, we the, get around.
1: It's fun. No, I, I mean, this this podcast is basically an exercise in deviating from the thing that we're supposed to talk about. <laughs>
0: we also never defined ERC uh, twenty tokens.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Got, <laughs> I mean. I mean. Yeah. Pe- people can. People can look, people us can look it read. up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People, can, people can but look like that But let's
0: do define this term. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so
1: in the in the reader <laughs> notes, you, uh, so obviously the, uh, the 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 kind of main protagonist of this book. I'm not going to give too much away, but the main protagonist of this book is someone you might refer to as a a hope runner, I'm not going to talk too much about what that is, yeah. um, but this concept of hope comes up a great deal. Um, and in mm-hmm. your ex, uh, ex- explication of, of why that is, you talk about coming to this concept of metamodernism and maybe would you like to talk to us about like what that is and, yeah. uh, you know, and why it was appealing for you?
2: Yeah. Um. So, so it comes from, you know part of the reason why i write like i said before is to have like a formalization of my own thoughts and where i am currently at my life and i think like obviously for most people it's like you know, there's always this constant journey of like trying to make sense of whatever this experience is we call life and um like there's this one framework that i discovered called metamodism which which currently i enjoy as a framework to to like process and, and like life and life's choices. And what metamodernism is, is it it's an attempt to have a dialogue between modernism and postmodernism. And it's often described as 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 a structure of feeling, right? Um and I, sometimes words that I also use, is like it's it's they oscillate between the two pol- with seeming polarities between modernism and postmodernism. So modernism was defined by the sort of like pursuit of of like rationality and scientific objective truth and like this this idea that we could have things like objective beauty um you know mondrian's like um uh, neoplasticism like paintings was like this pursuit of like simplicity simplicity in beauty and like this very grand narratives of like the humans as like the pinnacle of like we are we are in this grand pursuit in this universe kind of mm-hmm.
4: we're the um, center roses. of the world yeah
2: yeah and then postmodernism came around and was like yeah well maybe things aren't as obvious as we thought it was like things are actually relative and subjective like like there's there it brought in cynicism cynicism um relativity and and like exploration um away from grand narratives mm-hmm. and sometimes the way they used to, des- to describe it is that post postmodernism modernism it was and it probably still is to some extent a period of deconstruction yep. you know so we had this period of like we are the best in the universe and we're building all these beautiful grand things and now we deconstructing everything and like looking at um, everything around us in like a more vulnerable like bare and naked manner it's yep. like who are we really where are we in the universe like it's like is there anything like objective truth like it's like are you ethic are you moral am i moral are you ethical am i ethical like what there, there's no sense of like the shared objective yeah. and i think postmodernism also came during a time when the internet came to fruition so and social media so we also lost a sense of shared reality mm-hmm. Com- so it's it's compounding everything it's like it's like it's like everything we thought was true wasn't really and now you also live in a filter bubble, so yep. there is this current yearning for people to find shared narratives and yep. shared realities. Yep. And one way it manifests is like um, this this direct desire to go back to modernism and and that that go go back to modernism, grand narratives, and you see that manifest in things like the rise like the the rise again in in nationalism mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and like this kind of <clears throat> desire to have like a grand narrative for things. Yeah. Um but meta non- meta-modernism is sort of going like okay well we don't actually really want to go back to modernism we don't want to throw all things away that post off postmodernism like there were lots of valuable things of postmodernism like you know feminism came from postmodernism we mm-hmm. had like um intertextuality like pastiche like merging remixing all these kind of interesting deconstruction things we still want. Yep. But what we want now is a reconstruction. Yep. And metanom modernism says like there's like a certain kind of um, cultural movement that is about reconstruction. Um, that is to say, we do want grand narratives, but mm-hmm. let's be self-aware of these things. Like, like let's say I want to be hopeful. You know, I want to have hope for a better future, yep. but let's not ridicule people that are hopeful, right? Yep, yep. It's like, but also let's be self-aware. Like, let's be self-aware. Like, yes, it's pretty stupid to say like, let's be hopeful um, when you are, are like super rich and there's like, you were there due to privilege like yeah be self-aware mm-hmm. um so so metamodism is basically saying like we can have both we can have our cake and eat it kind mm-hmm. of like uh of like structure of feeling that that really resonated with me because like there was this there, this is this is i think like a constant struggle both in people and in society where we're, we're kind of like constantly forced to choose mm-hmm. right it's like it's like uh, we find this in politics obviously as well it's like if you're not with me then you're against me it's like no nah, yeah, not yeah, really well, yeah. well i underst- i understand certain parts of whatever but like it's not it shouldn't be that 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 binary yep. um but but it's a constant like deconstruction with reconstruction yeah um yep. and so in terms of the character arc in terms of the protagonist like her character arc is very much like the meta modernist. Um, to get to meta modernist perspective at the end of the novel, it's to mm-hmm. say like mm-hmm. it's like it's like you're going through all these things and you're struggling with like who you are, and you're struggling with grand narratives. Like you don't want to feel grand narratives because it feels fake. It feels like it feels like naive or something. Naive, uh, yeah, naive. Like yeah. like it's like it's like uh, who cares? If it, and a good example is that these days is like it's like why do you, why are we excited about going to Mars if, if we're gonna fuck up our own planet? like yeah, yeah. it's like but it's but it's but it's like modernism tries to go like let's 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 be excited about the future and and be hopeful but let's also try still like you know deconstruct things that are still not the way it should be yeah, yeah
1: totally i mean i'm i'm very sympathetic to that reading this is also something we deal with a lot is like yes i can you know i mean particularly i mean coming from like i don't know like an arts background which has been very much maybe defined I mean large corners of it defined by a very postmodern attitude right like as you say yeah. and there are a great many successes from that but it's like yes like I can think of a hundred reasons to not do something and yet I'd still quite like to do something um and that is not you know techno-utopianism or you know that that does not need to be uh, framed as this kind of modernist position where you're like, all in on this thing you know uh, but 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 in a sense like
0: or imposing your ideas on other people's kind of freedoms Mm
1: -hmm. in a way or narrowing the conversation right and Mm -hmm. i mean i I wonder if in a way there's there's parallels between what we were describing earlier about you know people's greater capacity to understand context um Mm -hmm. this kind of like broad broadband dimension where you're kind of like okay well like i can support this idea and at the same time i can also support in kind of a (laughs) marxist dialectic fashion uh i can support counter arguments too right it's like it doesn't have to be all or nothing but in the balance somewhere between wanting to advocate for something and experiment with something and also understanding the contingent kind of uh uh, critiques of it Mm. i still want to err toward doing something rather than not doing something and i think that's maybe Mm. where the optimistic nihilism comes in right is it's like Mm when presented with now I'm not like a scholar on nihilism or whatever, but like (laughs) but when presented with, you know, the idea that, you know, there isn't really one universal point to doing anything, right. There is not one confirmed point to your existence um, for better or worse. Okay. I can see a million arguments to then be like, okay, well, I'm just, you know, why do anything? And you're like, well, no, that's actually living in an older world, right? That
0: well, there's then. this. That to speak to that point, there's this one quote in your. Um, what are we calling it? Your uh, explainer notes? Or- Let's just give
1: it a different name every time. <laughs> I know. I, know like, right. no, it, I like that. It's like liner notes, companion guide, primer. <laughs> like, well, this this is a, this is a work of ever changing fiction. Come on. <laughs> well,
0: whatever we're calling them, there was one yeah. quote in there that like I don't know. I almost had to like shed a tear because. It- <laughs> You feel like what I'm going through trying to write a new album right oh. now so you're like for indeed that is the destiny of the meta modern woman to pursue a horizon that is forever receding to yeah. accept and run into the horizon in search of an answer that she might not find I was like yeah.
2: oh that is also uh, that's one of my favorite quotes as well from what I discovered this actually um um there's there's one musician actually that it was such a strange discovery sergil simpson is a country artist and um he he wrote an album called um uh it's called let me just get it a uh, meta modern sounds and country music and it's a play on words on modern sounds and country music i think
1: what's
2: his name sergil uh, simpson. simpson and um he, he has a song called long white line which is my favorite song of his and and to me He sings about the horizon forever seeding. And in the lyrics, it says, um, the song is about him just following the long white line. And the long white line is the long white line on the road, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. That we drive. So he sings, I won't be around this old town anymore for a long, long time gonna hit the road and start looking for the end of the long white line mm-hmm. and i just love that vision it's this horizon forever receding and and that's where the, the grand narratives from metamodernism comes back in it's like it's this pursuit of like what might be unachievable or unattainable but there's beauty in the pursuit it's like this yep. this is uh, going like i want to keep driving along this long mm-hmm. white line i don't know where i'm going to end up at but I'm just gonna start hit the road and start looking for an End of it. And I just, I just love that imagery. It's so, it's so. Funny.
0: He's from my neck of the woods.
2: Oh really? Yeah, I'm
0: looking on a map right now. I'm like, wow, that's really close to where He's I grew really, up.
2: Really cool. Like, like oh yeah, sorta, wow. She's <laughs> from
0: Kentucky, sorta, but sorta, like... Sorta, like.
2: He, you wrote so that album, Metamodern modern sounds of country music, really good album. And then you wrote like an album, uh, I can't remember the name, but it's like the one after it. He, he made a a music video which is a film he hired like proper anime japanese animators to make a music video for the album and i was like this guy's so interesting like he's a it's like on the face of it if you don't know anything else and you look to him singing you're like this is this is just a country artist mm-hmm. but deep down it's like super interesting fellow like super like strange ideas and and like really interesting creative works
0: I love, how, good the, music I love how the genre is called Outlaw Country. I didn't even know that was a genre. And he, was, he was
1: in the Navy and then went to work at IHOP. Although I do have to say that like the area honestly, Simon, if you knew where Holly was from, it's it's you know it's quite remote. Um <laughs> and this guy's from really close by, yeah, which is like really
0: a half an hour, hour, like a half an hour away. It's, it's weird. Is <laughs>
1: like yeah, I was about <laughs> to say you know, but but I do also think that, you know, when when people tend to come, this has definitely been my experience in in many of the arts particularly music is that when people tend to come from you know special special remote areas like that um the ones that end up the ones that end up leaving end up being having very special ideas you know what <laughs> I mean? because it's like because yeah. invariably i mean I've, that's one of the, this is totally off point but one of the reasons i love like for, for whatever reason many of my favorite artists are from kansas <laughs> and i've never yeah. really spent much time in kansas but it's like yeah for some reason people who come out of kansas their their brains are wired differently um (laughs) you know and that's cool yeah that's that's very very
2: exciting but that's very true i think like a you know when when i thought about like you know why why do i enjoy certain things like even even you know i know i i know there's there's a lot of conversation now around the topic of cyberpunk for example Like Mm. why why do i why do i enjoy cyberpunk (laughs) and i realized like a lot of it comes from my upbringing you know it's like it's like like I said previously, like growing up at the tip of Africa and like and like seeing this world of technology far away in these cities and like not being able to be there and like mm-hmm. not be able to experience it. And that drive it instilled to me. It's, it's the same reason why I, dis- when I discovered Bitcoin and blockchain for the first time, the reason why I thought this was so exciting is because when I was a teenager, like I made games, like mm-hmm. that's that's what I enjoyed doing. And I was like, I want to sell my games, right? Mm-hmm. This was like, 2003 2004 and i was like i want to sell my games and i was like i can't do this there's mm-hmm. there's no way for me to do this like uh, being in south africa this is the you know technology hasn't arrived in the correct capacity and mm-hmm. i was like this is frustrating and mm-hmm. then you know when bitcoin and blockchain came around for the first time was like this is so potentially super empowering technology for people that doesn't necessarily have access to the correct financial infrastructure yep. mm-hmm. and obviously there's still a lot of work to do and like there's obviously always good critique about you know the cliches about bitcoin and the blockchain but sure. like, it just it was just this promise to me and and i don't think i would have been that excited about the technology if i if i didn't have that sort of restrictions or frustrations from where i grew up you know
1: mm. yeah absolutely and i mean it's as, as you say i mean like we could probably fill two hours with with critiques of of the crypto blockchain space right but like yeah. It's it's really and
2: completely warranted for that for that matter.
1: No, uh, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Fun. I mean, and I mean, as with anything, I find that like
0: maybe we should do an episode like that. That would be really fun. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just like uh, just like dunking on things. For but but I think yeah. but as as with anybody, actually, to to talk about this kind of optimism or hope, um, actually, I find that many of the people who have the most hope about fields, in in some cases, are more familiar with the counter arguments. Um than others mm-hmm. or have looked into it uh, uh, more uh, uh, in order to be able to qualify their hope, you know, and I think one of the one of the things that I often get frustrated by and maybe maybe you and I share this experience is you know, not growing up in Europe or North America
0: as an English speaker.
1: as an English speaker for sure. Um, but like, where did you grow? up? I grew up in Kuwait. Oh wow. yeah, so uh, oh, that's uh, really interesting. I mean, I feel,
2: like, I feel like I need to get a beer, and you're more of that story. Beer
1: yeah, yeah, so I, I could talk about it a long time. I'm, I'm very grateful to have grown up there, and uh, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting and not interesting. It, you know, it is. Mm. It was uh, just like good you know, way to describe it. Yeah, yeah it, it, I mean, it's. I, I learned. I I grew to learn. It was interesting over time. You know, when you're like,
0: it's not always what you think is interesting, though. Is yeah, it?
1: exactly. When I was like 21 or something, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I guess I did grow up totally differently to everybody <laughs> I know now. Uh, but yeah. but the. Uh, No, but often in case with like things like uh, uh, crypto or Bitcoin or or just the general need for like cryptography, you know, it's like these conversations in the States and in Europe can oftentimes seem, oh yeah, those freaks, they're worried about like the gold standard or whatever. And you're like, yeah, like oftentimes the most compelling stories or like people I hear from are like, oh no, there's this guy in Venezuela or in Argentina who like really sees an application for this. This isn't just like Mm. people debating stuff in like a relatively secure Stable demo- democratic environment, you know what I mean? Like,
3: yeah,
1: and, and it's frustrating to me in, in culture and any technology conversation that, that often the world shrinks when these conversations happen. It's like, no, the world is big, and actually, the, the, the well, these thinking conversa- about the world, these yeah.
0: conversations are often just kind of told through an American lens, and the world yeah. is so much bigger. Too often, pretty yeah. much every All conversation goes through an American <laughs> lens, which is
1: very frustrating. Um, yeah. American, yeah, I know, uh, no, no, it's true, sorry
0: guys, <laughs> yeah, no, it's true,
1: it's true, it's it's yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that might have been a conversation killer. <laughs> <up.
3: laughs>
1: um, no, but it's, it's interesting because like I I
2: have an American girlfriend, <laughs> and like the past few years of dating has been a constant discovery about like what is similar and what is different between our upbringings. Because mm-hmm. like on the surface, when you you know we look at me, it's like oh uh, like you're a white guy like you i could pass as a european and whatever but like i grew up in south africa like this is this is this is where i'm from yeah but there's like subtle small things sometimes where it's just like we have these jarring moments of cultural mismatch Mm -hmm. which which feels like it shouldn't be there Mm -hmm. but it but it is and that's always been such an interesting process of discovery to realizing like oh like this is normal in america or like Mm -hmm. oh this (laughs) is normal in south africa now we understand things better like it's great yeah it's cool a good good example (laughs) that was quite funny um so in south africa and i realized it's basically like three or four countries that have this this saying which is um the more familiar saying is when you cross your fingers right it's Mm -hmm. it's to say like i hope something goes well i'm gonna cross my fingers Mm -hmm. but in south africa we have to say like i'm gonna hold my thumbs for you right and apparently that's also the part in German. German. Yeah.
1: In,
0: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah you say yeah, press so... thumbs yeah and i was like oh my I was like there's something that's going to happen i'm saying i'm holding my thumbs for you and she's like you're doing what
1: you <laughs> yeah no it's <laughs>
2: that, was like, that was like when you realize wait the world isn't exactly just the way i framed it and it's it's a wonderful process of discovery i feel
1: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i mean that's also like to go back to Julien again i, I, I really want to have on um Yu Kui. Yeah. So uh, um, there's this guy, Yu Kui, who wrote a book called The Question Concerning Technology in China.
0: This has come up before.
1: Yeah, it has. Um, And I'd really, really like him to come on the podcast. It's something that we want to try and arrange. Um, But the basic idea there is like, you know, there's no one like the, kind of the, 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 let's say maybe like the, the Western Greek thought of like technique and like the idea or philosophy behind technology that that many of us would kind of take for granted of course there's many different competing uh stories there right there's many different competing traditions that were that developed completely separate and distinct from or discrete from uh, 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 uh from that that form of western thought and so yukui put together a book to try and explain that from a from a from a chinese perspective um and it is, I mean, it's just this great opportunity in a sense, right? It's just like you get hints of it when in kind of like linguistic games, like you were just describing with your partner, but like, you know, it, to me, that's, that's also a great source of hope to go back to that point yeah. is that like on occasion, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of stuck and locked. I'm gridlocked, let's say. in certain, <laughs> uh, uh, No, but it's true. In certain ways of thinking, I'm just like, oh, and then it's so refreshing at that point to go somewhere else and actually just be humbled by the fact that like, you know the the world is really big and the in actuality like perhaps it's more kind of a limitation of the like the software you're running
0: well for, than, example, like, the his, you. for example the
1: material mm. reality
0: for example in his book specifically one example is like in um western kind of thought it's like um i think it was technology is given to us and mm-hmm. in eastern thought technology comes from it's it might be the opposite of that i can't can't remember (laughs) but just that that very like fundamental kind of like concept yeah (laughs) totally Yeah, yeah yeah Yeah. But one thing that I have to get into, I would not be true to myself if I didn't get into a little bit of a critique of uh, a cyberpunk. Oh, here we
1: go. Yeah. Kind of. Oh, yeah. Great. It's <laughs> the week of cyberpunk critique. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect
2: timing. Cyberpunk 2077 is out. Uh, let's do this. I love this. Yeah, this I want to get into it.
0: In- <laughs> <laughs> we have to get into a little bit because, I mean, it, it like it, cyberpunk yeah. now, you know, we had Mad Max, which came out of like the biggest Hollywood production studio, what like eight years ago or something, Mm -hmm. we've had, you know, Blade Runner reboots, and we have now the biggest video game in the world is cyberpunk. So cyberpunk worlds are no longer a kind of um, subcultural phenomenon. It it has now officially officially become the mainstream. So what do we do with this? And how do we build worlds that You know, one thing that I find about your book that is that is interesting and deals with it in in a way that that helps ease my critique a little bit is that you kind of have this world. And then the whole thing is about this kind of heroine's journey and like finding hope within this kind of so it's it's actually kind of dealing with the issue of this dystopian kind of framework. It's like kind of dealing with it head on. How can we kind of like, yeah, how, what what do we do now that the cyberpunk future is the cyberpunk
1: reality? And I would say, in a sense, just before that question, I would add a H. I think that like Simon's book is somewhere in between the like cyberpunk to solarpunk axis, right? And yeah. I could expect I've, I expect that <laughs> the, in the in the future editions, because of course it uh not to no spoilers but the book uh, the
0: open-ended then the the, the book leaves
1: open the possibility for there being future iterations of it (laughs) I expect it would go toward uh toward that in a sense it's not you know like like many of the things that you're describing I I wouldn't characterize the book as like quintessentially cyberpunk in that sense yeah in terms of like the thematic and the character development and I'm sure that was
0: deliberate so let's get into it
1: yeah
2: yeah. Yeah, the, the the naming for me I think one of the reasons why I also chose to describe it as like it's a cyberpunk city is like there are elements about it which is which I, I for me it's like the elements of cyberpunk that I enjoy, which is i when I think about like what kind of stories are being told today that 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 is about cities that mm-hmm. that's that focuses on the city as one of the core sort of themes or character i I even say character because I truly believe that you can have a city as a character um that feels like it's part of the character of the the story mm-hmm. um and and cyberpunk to me is like the genre that that like really puts the city front and set, center yeah. as mm-hmm. like the environment and and core part of it there's nothing in a novel like body modification or like corporate overlords or like the other <laughs> you know stereotypes of cyberpunk mm-hmm. but to me it was like the most accurate description such that when people see it they they might have an idea what it's about mm-hmm. um, but but in in general like it's because it's, I've, I've listened to past podcasts of you guys talking about cyberpunk <laughs> with Jay and with brutes and everyone and, mm-hmm. and it's like super interesting discussions and it's actually given me a lot of thought about like the naming of it and like what it means and and like like my own thoughts about the genre awesome. um, and and one thing was interesting I actually asked on Facebook there's a cyberpunk fiction and culture group that I that I frequent and i was like curious like why do people enjoy cyberpunk like what what is the reason why there's now this like predominant narrative of like a large like genre of like interest because mm-hmm. you have like altered carbon on netflix and like mm-hmm. blade runner now cyberpunk 2077 it's, it's big and like one theme that stood out to me which is actually also one of the reasons why i gravitated towards this kind of genre is be- is that there is there's this people that describe things like they, they didn't have access to the internet and they didn't have access to technology. And, and technology was a way to empower themselves. Mm-hmm. And cyberpunk was about technology. Um, and, and like, but it wasn't like, here's this space opera. It's like, it was real. It's like, oh, yeah. this, this is the future city. And interesting, one guy was like saying that he enjoys cyberpunk, especially the body modification parts of it, because it pictures a future where his own health problems could be immediately wiped away by augmentation. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. was like quite a powerful statement to me in terms mm-hmm. of like what fiction can do for people in general. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the narratives are about like cyberpunk as a genre is all about like empowering technologies, even if it even if it's in this dystopic setting that is, you know, not like Jay would describe as like solar punk. Mm-hmm. Um, sustainable, happy future vibes. Um, <laughs> I, that's a very oversimplification of it, but um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a it's it it's it's still to me like really interesting. I i i i the reason why I really enjoy it is be is because it's about cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the reason in that that cities create this like, um, cosmopolitan future. And when you have like a massively huge city, it just feels like there's more potential for novel human experiences, and that is cyberpunk to me. That's mm-hmm. that's what it's always been—the feeling that it created for me personally. Um, but I also generally, I just, I also generally agree with the sentiment that sometimes, like at least cyberpunk today, is also largely about the aesthetic, mm-hmm. and 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 not necessarily any more about the critique. You know, because like cyberpunk in the day was about it was about the modern era extrapolated. It's like here's the '80s. This is what the future is going to look like if the '80s continue, right? Um, And and I sometimes feel like if it's only about the aesthetics, then I feel like it loses some of its character um, or or like reason why I feel like it's valuable in terms of fiction. It then it then it's just more like escapism, which isn't wrong in gen. It's not wrong, but I feel like the Cyberpunk is a valuable genre. Also, posited questions about our future. Yeah. And when you look at Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, it's like this is this is just the aesthetics of cyberpunk. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't ask new questions. You know, it's just it's just it's 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 like the same aesthetics that existed before. Um, I, I've I haven't played it, but like if I've seen reviews and things like that, and and pictures and stuff. So it's like it has all the tropes, yeah. um, and and that that's that's where it ends. Um, but yeah, uh, but there's more
0: this, I I, yeah. I want to dig in on this aesthetics a little bit mm. because I think this is really interesting. I think this is where my irritation comes in, because I do think aesthetics are really powerful. And the issue here mm. is that the most powerful people in the world who actually do have kind of our future in their hands and, you know, have fully embraced the cyberpunk aesthetic. And so I feel like it, it's mm-hmm. as, as a form of entertainment. And so I feel like its its previous role of maybe providing a critique ha- in its kind of full acceptance by the most powerful has kind of lost.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and this we, we actually got into this with Glenn in that episode, right? Where it's like this idea that, I mean, I feel like so much of, of stuff around us is like, you know, people who consider themselves to be um, coming from like a disadvantaged or a marginal position, not realizing that they're the ones in power now. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, and then you see the kind of life cycle of an aesthetic, the kind or, of like
0: billionaire punk or something. Yeah, that's totally. And, like... and that's,
1: you know, and I, <laughs> I was joking with someone the other day, like on, you know, something like a, and if you've seen this app clubhouse or whatever, you know, um, but whatever, it's like, it's like this, this app where a lot of people, you know, Often a lot of exactly it's like audio chat rooms, but it tends to be like there's there's a lot of people on there who like are quite famous or whatever, Um, and I went on there recently and it was really confusing because you're like in this room with. You know titans of industry like people who are like really successful like run the biggest venture capital firms whatever and you're kind of just eavesdropping on their conversation which is a novelty um but the entire tone of the of the conversation i was like you guys don't realize you're the ones in charge it's so strange you know they were kind of
0: moaning about things they're moaning
1: about activists and about you know politics and and, and the government or whatever and you're like you're the government, like you're <laughs> making all the decisions that determine yeah. people's lives, you know, but, they, but, yeah. but that hasn't quite, you know, and so, I mean, and this is kind of almost like a postmodern conundrum, right. Where you're like, mm. you know, people of of that generation who define themselves as like breaking the system or changing things, the the mm. narrative hasn't quite caught up yet that these are actually the most powerful people and the invariably newer ideas that happen now on small, You know, on the margins of culture, invariably, most likely in 20 or 30 years, you'll have someone on like, probably won't be a podcast, someone being like, God, I'm so sick of these fucking interdependence people, God, (laughs) (laughs) whatever, you know, it's like, it's just the cycle, these things cycle.
2: I'm like constantly afraid that like stuff we invent now is going to sound, it's like now sounding like very empowering. It's like, yeah, yeah. "Yeah, Option to like build these equitable structures and things like that, <laughs> and then it's like suddenly subverted into like this strange dystopia. It's like, oh, suddenly now everything is a market because the blockchain puts markets in everything. It's like, yeah, oh, fuck, yeah. that's not what we. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary, but but to to come back to the point about the cyberpunk aesthetic and and like now people are using using it to the people that are in power and like how that framed the narrative. I think it it is definitely strange because I, I I think I I also. You know i i st- I started programming in earnest in a period where there was this there was this this dream painted by Silicon Valley, and I totally fell into that that like belief right you mm-hmm. know was, I was like it's like I started programming websites because I was like, "Wow, like Mark Zuckerberg is like twenty three and like he's built this thing that connects so many people mm-hmm. right and then suddenly like ten years later you're like, "Oh shit, we connected all the people in the world. This is a chaotic mess yeah. right." <laughs> <laughs> like he's maybe not the best person anymore to be to idolize um and but but there was there was a period where like there was a strong belief that like wow like we can contribute and and it also came from the fact that like i didn't you know being in south africa it's like i didn't have to be in silicon valley to to Mm -hmm. build something that the world uses that was so empowering in terms of technological narrative like i could build something here and like it could become popular Mm -hmm. um but then suddenly the world changed and correctly so like suddenly all these things that we built that we had so much dreams for like suddenly became like much more nefarious Mm -hmm. um and and that's 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 just the nature of things you know i think that that's also going to happen with the blockchain i believe Mm -hmm. it's like it's like inevitably it's going to be used for like very malicious negative purposes it's already happening you know Mm -hmm. it's like suddenly in venezuela you have like dictators like using erc 20 standard and and i'm like i helped create that and i'm like Mm -hmm. this is making me really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like it's like but but there are people that using it that are actually uh, have you know built lifestyles for themselves and that makes me feel great and i think that's always a conundrum with technology and i think you know, people that you know designed the, the, you know, the the atom bomb or whatever. It's like it's the same kind of like, not at that scale, obviously, but yeah. like there's always this, this double-edged sword with technology. You know, you know it can always be used for good and it can always be used for bad. And to come back on the point of this of cyberpunk, I I, I enjoy s- s- cyberpunk that also posits questions that's it's not just about the aesthetic and it is definitely strange to me to see like you know um if people in power that design trucks that have specific <laughs> names referencing to <Jishwandra. laughs>
1: <laughs> Hmm yeah we'll have to we'll have to uh, do some research to see I, who you're talking about
2: African, so I actually know him personally yes. yeah oh there you go
1: yeah, yeah just call him up so please <laughs> Um, that's funny. God, so many South Africans. Uh, yeah, no, no, you're, you're, no, you're right. Actually, there's, um, a friend of ours, Kay Deem, who uh, wrote a really great piece. I think it was called weaponized design. It was a few years ago, but it was, it was talking about these points where I forget the exact examples, but you know, it's like, you know, when, when Nokia invented these cheap burner phones that like were super robust and, you know, uh, had these Bluetooth capabilities, et cetera, right? Like, you know, all of a sudden the cost of communication for so many people globally decreased. There's all these remarkable benefits um, to these cheap, to these systems being made. And then, you know, there are also examples of like the Taliban using them to detonate bombs, you know, that mm. all of a sudden creating these new standards for doing stuff. Yeah. There's always ways to do, um, there's always negative things that, that that can occur, that can occur there. But, but I guess, I guess part of the challenge with some of the cyberpunk stuff again is like, you know, everyone enjoys the like, I mean everyone enjoys the villainy like i enjoy the i enjoy the guts and the and the weird stories and the intrigue and the machiavellian stuff you know but but it's when when you, you know, that, that eerie moment when you look around you and be like oh you're not enjoying this as a story like you, you guys take this more you guys take this seriously like you actually want to live in a world where you need an armored truck to drive around your neighborhood you know it's like i enjoy that in a fictional context because you know yeah. sure like it's entertaining but like what really like um you know th- those are the points where it starts getting a little I, a I, little sour yeah yeah or, or those I, people
0: who are designing like the future of transport you want for their fantasy to not be a kind <laughs> a kind of like armored vehicle fantasy you yeah, want yeah, it totally. to be yeah yeah <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. No, there's there's definitely some parts of it where just like, let's not go there. But there are parts <laughs> of it where like I would actually like to live in some of these places. I think particularly in terms of like it always feels to me it's like a diverse and like very cosmopolitan and yeah, like totally. these like hidden holes of like places to be any human you want to be. Mm-hmm. And that, that always that that's always like a painting of Cyberpunk that I enjoyed. It's like this very in Foucault's I think it's Foucault. It's like the heterotopia, this mm-hmm. this, this other space of otherness, which mm-hmm. is yeah, yeah, yeah. where where we can we can be whatever we want to be. Um,
0: yeah, totally. And like the, I mean, but a lot of it is also designed specifically after Hong Kong, which is like one of my favorite cities in the world. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. <laughs> that's still a magnificent city, and there's like really wonderful aspects to that city.
3: Yeah. <sighs>
0: yeah. <And> we're like <laughs> lamenting not being able to travel right
1: now He's yeah, so cool i know oh, I've,
2: been, I've been literally watching during this whole period i've been stuck in south africa i've been watching like youtube videos about japan and i was just like
1: yep i
2: really enjoyed <laughs> being there last year I was there for a month i just really want to just walk again and yep. like just see this this whole country
0: We've been watching uh food YouTubers which is kind of embarrassing but it's true. No it's true. It
1: definitely, it definitely curbs the wonderlust, though. That I like I kind of yeah. understand it now where you like you have these weird like cartoon faced people who are like mm, like like with their big eyes in the screen and you're like yeah I kind of feel like I'm eating with you in Mexico right now. Like sure yeah. <laughs> it sounds
2: like um, what's a guy full with a somebody feed phil I don't know if you watched that I think we
1: we I think too. we have passed through him at some point. <laughs> yeah,
2: he's like super enthusiastic about food. It's just like, there's always like giant expressions on his face and just loving all the food.
1: <laughs> I think Holly could do that. I couldn't do it, but Holly has a face for YouTube. You I'm, could definitely do the like ah. Like, yeah,
0: but I don't like all the weird animal part foods, and that's what they really like. Oh yeah, on true. Those. You'll
1: be like yeah. I don't Holly's he- salad channel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to watch Holly's yeah. salad channel. <laughs>
2: hey, you never know. never
1: know. Never know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, look. So we we have taken up a bunch of your time, and uh, you know, is there anything else that you wanted to discuss before we uh, before we depart? Mm. Did we miss anything crucial, or uh, you know?
2: Um, I mean, wow. Well, I think there's there's a lot of things I I. I I think, you know, like I've listened to all the podcasts that you guys made. So it's like, there's so many interesting things I want to talk about, but maybe, maybe at a time when I can come to Berlin again and then we can sit well, down. Well, that definitely has that. to happen.
1: I, well, I also have yeah. to shout you out because you uh, went on Twitter and proposed that, you know, an interdependence uh, gathering yes. of some kind would summit. be yes. summit. And, and I have to say, like, yes. I mean, the, the it's funny, we thought, thought about not quite in in the framing you were, you were, you were describing but um we've been actually uh, clandestinely kind of working on um a small space here um uh during lockdown with the idea being that maybe after lockdown we'd be able to, to do some of these things live that was kind of like a little goal of being like actually it would be really cool speaking of of Japan actually like when you walk through Tokyo and you can see certain shows happening from the street, oh, yeah, you know. Oh
3: yeah, the mm-hmm.
1: yeah. It was like, okay, we're not in Tokyo. It's nowhere that cool, but like, <laughs> but the ability to just do that and have people be able to walk in and like participate and stuff would be really cool. And like the idea of a mm-hmm. summit or whatever is like wonderful. Oh man, it sounds um, so
2: great because like, and and the and it, sorry if I'm gushing a lot, but like no, this, the people Push. you have on is like so interesting and like and it's diverse. It's like that. That's what I enjoy a lot and and i think that's also why i enjoy the radical exchange movement because Mm -hmm. it's explicit about including diverse sets of people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it's like the blockchain was never sort of it was just like here's this technology and then suddenly it attracted a lot of people it was never explicit about like we need to include artists we need to include writers musicians academics like coders you know across the spectrum of people that can provide interesting narratives and that's what you've guys been doing really awesomely with interdependence it's just like interviewing a broad spectrum of people that are really interesting i like i almost always like as you said before afterwards go like google a bunch of stuff
1: and read more <laughs> that's right that's but, nice that's but, really uh, kind a, thank you that's really kind yeah well
0: i have to say i would love to speak for like an hour just on the erc 20 token i mean i really would encourage our audience to um check this out it's like a pretty insane
1: yeah, I mean, it, it would be. I, honestly, <laughs> we kind
0: of just barely dipped agree. into it. I agree. I mean, I think it. that
1: like it, it, it's it, almost, it's worth. It the warrants conversation. like two hours. <laughs> well, yeah, it's worth a conversation just to like talk about the history of that. You know, like the, mm-hmm. like the conversations and the debates around these things that like mm-hmm. you know over time of course it, it, it is, it must be quite psychedelic or unusual to see well, how these things spawn, but well, like, this
0: really interesting conundrum of how it's being used and perhaps misused. And your feelings about that is really fascinating. Yeah.
1: Um, but, but I agree with you. And yeah, and yeah, that's kind of like part of the exercise with this is that, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day about it and it's like, not, not to pretend that what we're doing is, has any more influence than it does, you know, like it's small at this point in time, but like, but it's just, you know, fundamentally it's like, we're kind we're culture people, you know, and like, And of course, cultures emerge in all these different areas. But like, I feel like, yeah, like somewhere in the Venn diagram, there's all these people who don't get invited to participate in certain conversations. And this is one frustration we have, to be honest, like, we always feel like we're in the wrong room. And that's just been (laughs) universal. It's like, I I always feel like I'm always like, oh, yeah, you're the music guy who's into other stuff. Oh, yeah, you're the other stuff guy who's into music, you know, and it's like, If you're going to, it's kind of not dissimilar to, to, to your cliff notes. It's like the only thing I know, not to sound self-aggrandizing at all, but this is the only thing I know is like, you kind of have to build your own world that there's, you know, that's the only way I've ever, it's ever kind of worked out in anything I've been involved Mm -hmm. with in my short life or whatever. Like, and there is this interstitial universe that I don't think is, you know adequately represented by like oh it's the crypto community no no it's not at all actually like mm. i don't care about 95 percent of people who care about crypto you know mm. like i don't care about 95 of people to, to be honest that care about music probably mm. you know but there's like there's a five percent you don't
0: care about the same things as them you wouldn't say you don't care about them oh no that yeah sounds, no, no no, that, I, no, that I, sounds no. really <laughs> cruel i, I didn't <laughs> mean that no, no i didn't mean no i didn't mean
1: that. i don't <laughs> care about the same things as them is that, that's what i meant that's what i meant yeah. um but that's the point is it? you then have to like smudge these things together and over time you know and of course also giving credit you know our friends at new models for example i think are also uh, pushing on this our friends mm. at trust here who like you know there's there's a lot of people there's a lot of different people working in this kind of area and and to me it's like again in like 30 years time looking back i'll be like oh yeah like you know those those are the communities that ultimately will have contributed to something uh uh oblique you know, that, and that's, that's generally how this stuff happens, but you have to kind of like work at building it, you know?
2: Yeah. No, I, that's, it, if it's something I've learned of the past few years of doing a bunch of stuff, it's just, yeah, you have to build your own world. Uh, and and from the granular level to like actually writing a world in a story to to actually building the, the people around you, you know, and the movement people around you. And uh, like a key point of that was like, some of the stuff I've published over the years, like ideas and things like that, when i look back at some of the documents like the people i thanked then then it's like here's this new idea and then at the bottom it's like i sent it to like 30 to 40 people yeah and it's like that i i don't see how else you should be doing things (laughs) you know it's like you you build your own world but but it's but it's but it's about like bringing people along with you you know of
1: course yeah i mean and that's the great joy of it right is like the because again i I mean that's one thing with music stuff we how long had these conversations is like, I've never understood being protective over, you know, like, like protective over information in that way. Cause you're like, you gain mm. so much more through mm. attributing people and like getting to know people. I mean, part of our exercise is not just this podcast, but like years before, is like one of the great benefits of the internet was being like, whoa, I've read this insane thing. Like I want to know this person, you know, mm. not for, not for personal gain in like a climbing kind of way or something. Yeah. It was just more being like, whoa, like this guy's smart. Like this person yeah, has, I, you know, that, and that's, that's the joy of this stuff. And, and again, the joy of music or any culture thing is like, yeah. you. Do, I want to enter a room with like other people who excite me. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's like good example of that. It was like, because of interdependence, like, uh like Jay Jay Sprigget's solar punk thing and I, like read all the stuff he's written and it's just incredible writing and mm-hmm. and like we sometimes talk on Twitter about various ideas and things and I'm like this would not have happened if you guys didn't do the podcast and that's amazing. This is really, really awesome.
0: Yeah, Jay's great. I'm Jay's glad special, you're in touch. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's that's really wonderful. Yeah, no Jay's Jay's on another on another planet. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a good planet. <laughs>
0: he's terraforming another planet. Yes, Jay's definitely... <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I'm also glad because Jay's been like ramping up his writing recently. He's definitely like yeah. inspired at the moment, which is really wonderful. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I guess the, uh, you know, the, the the question we have to ask.
0: What does Marxism mean to sh- you? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's out a left field, pun intended.
0: What does interdependence mean to you, Simon? <laughs> Huh, such an interesting question um <laughs> no,
2: but seriously like all the times when i've because like during this lockdown period i've actually started walking a lot um mm. and and like obviously you guys have been a like, good companions like listening to all the podcasts and like all the like every time like when podcast ends then the question lingers like, what is interdependence <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think about it trying to um do not look at the beautiful ocean that you don't, guys don't have, in the beautiful sunset. <laughs> all um, right, all yeah. right. <laughs> um, uh, it's a, it's, it's. I, I, you know, for a long while, I thought like I don't initially have anything particularly different to add than what's been said before in terms of, you know, this what I've said on this podcast. Uh, you know puts that into perspective of like the value of like internet, interconnected systems and, mm-hmm. and like working with people, like sending documents to 30 to 40 people to get their feedback on things, mm-hmm. to helping others. I, I think that that isn't different to what's been said before, but there was a, a book I recently read and I could like sort of a research area that I've recently been reading up on, which I found was quite interesting as a good answer to this question. So I've been reading a lot on information theory and, mm-hmm. um, which is like Claude Shannon and Mm -hmm. and all these uh, interesting scientists. And one of the interesting things about um, information and and the history of information is that there was a period where it was a novel thing, right? To write a dictionary, Mm -hmm. right? There was this period where it's like the first person, there was this first person to write a dictionary. Mm -hmm. And then there was this concept of like, we're using words to describe words Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and that, That to me is like a good encapsulation of interdependence. Mm -hmm. It's like like we can only define ourselves by others around us. Like Mm -hmm. there is no I in like the broader system. It's like we can't – it's just the system is us because when you look at it, something like words and language, like we use language to describe language. And in the Mm -hmm. same way, like we are people only through other people. Mm -hmm. And another cliche of that is like also – The concept that comes from south africa is the word ubuntu which is like Mm -hmm. encapsulated in in the saying that we are people through other people so Mm -hmm. i think that that's my contribution to that's great that's a great a great and
1: prophetic contribution i'll say (laughs) um because we yeah anyway we're trying to get someone on um there's someone who is working i believe with harvard who they they are thinking about publishing something called the declaration of interdependence. Um, and one of the group published this amazing, uh, this amazing book or like a paper about Ubuntu and specifically machine learning policy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been really trying to get a hold of him because I, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, 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 keep your eyes and ears peeled for more Ubuntu conversation. Um,
0: There's also great. some synergy between what you said and what Glenn's answer was. He talks about this a lot in in regards to kind of like data sovereignty, how no single data point is, be, can really belong to one person because mm-hmm, it's all mm-hmm. always a relationship. In reference. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. It's, it's a, it's a, like an intersubjective mm-hmm. thing, you exactly. know, uh, we didn't get to talk about those st- stones. Oh, I really want to oh, talk about, yep. <laughs> yeah, the app stones was speaking of intersubjectivity or whatever, but like, um, that's maybe for another time. I was like absorbed by that. Like I want, yeah. Um, uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Google it. Google the <laughs> app stones. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah, no, that that's a, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful answer. And like, and yeah, like the, the, you know, laying the, like laying that protocol or whatever, which is another really flexible word, right? Like, like you need some kind of a map to be able to build, to build ideas or concepts on top of. Um,
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm ranting now. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, yeah, Simon, like this This, is uh, fun. Yeah. It's been really wonderful. And I, I genuinely hope we get to hang uh, IRL. um, Yeah. Once this nightmare is, is, is over. Um, yeah. And, uh, I don't know. Thanks so much for spending time with us. And thank you. Thanks for putting this book together. It was really fun to, uh, yeah, it's been really fun to spend time with the book this week and like.
0: Oh, we didn't it. talk about the album either. God, there's a, there oh, was no, a there, lot there's so, to cover. There was so much. Because um, I, I th- did want to tell you that the, um, the Mayville um, city in the city, apparently he was listening to a lot of Burial,
3: that
2: makes when sense.
0: he wrote that and I feel like you oh, should wow. read that book and listen to Barry oh, then I could
2: well. see, see the city from that music
0: exactly
1: oh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no it's it's a uh uh yeah it's it's been really fun and of course like uh the 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 subtext of course with you know uh, uh you being flora in in attempting to be a, this optimistic nihilist was also very nice I feel like I, I got to know you a little better through reading it so um thanks.
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um bye Simon. Thanks yeah, so thanks much. Thanks
1: Simon so much. Thank
2: you very much guys. Really, <laughs> good, really enjoyed it.
1: Good luck okay. in your uh yeah, good luck in the, the dystopian dark hellhole that you're occupying right now.
0: Yeah, sorry that you're stuck in paradise. <laughs> yeah, I really sorry, feel yeah. for you. I'll my
1: Okay.